Hello and welcome to the long lost episode 110 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am not a figment of your imagination. I am really talking to you on the radio. I'm talking to you from a blanket fort. I kid you not. I'll explain. So I've been away for a while. You've heard the expression that man makes plans and God just laughs. Well, no truer words, because there's just been a lot of change in life. One of the changes was I moved. The funny part is the bees didn't move. They are still in their field, but I am on the opposite side of them, on the other side of the land. I downsized to the little homestead house that's a piece of this property. It's just perfect for me, the the right size. But moving, wow, it hasn't gotten any better since last time I did it. It's uh, it's something else, and I still haven't found everything. I actually attempted to record this for you several days ago. I did a test, and the echo was so bad because this little house has hardwood floors, and it just doesn't have carpet, and I didn't have a room, or and I don't even really have a closet big enough you know, to sit in like so many podcasters do. So I am literally talking to you from essentially a blanket fort. It involves some egg crate and some manuscript clips and a clean dog blanket and many other things to try to keep the echo down. I obviously have to build myself a little soundproof booth or something in a corner somewhere. I'll get to that. I apologize if the sound is weird, but this is the best I can do under the circumstances. The bees, actually, they coped with the move very well. <laughs> Nothing was going on with them. Luckily, it was a it was a good year around here. Early in the year, had a really enjoyable, I think, productive bee season. Of course, then it all fell apart late in the summer with all the change. But they are happy and snug for the winter. I am happy and snug in the new place. And so we'll call it good. Patrons, I have to thank you for keeping the lights on, for keeping a place in the internet universe for this podcast to keep on going and for people to have been able to access the archives and play the old podcast while I wasn't able to do anything with the podcast. So thank you, patrons. You kept it going as all the times before you have kept the podcast commercial free, which I don't know, there seem to be more and more commercials in podcasts or they just get more noxious to me. I'm really glad to not have to deal with any of that. And that is all thanks to the patrons. Thank you. I also want to say thank you to my bee friends who've been so encouraging through all this life upheaval. There have been just too many things to even mention that are wonderful, but I did love the text from one particular bee friend and she would just say, uh, no pressure, but I sure do miss your podcast, and I sure I listened to an old one, and I enjoyed this, and I sure do look when forward to when you come back on, and that was great. Another friend reassured me that she's like, look, you know, I I really liked just when you read the articles, so no pressure if you can't think of anything or you're not up to doing it yet, just read some articles, and that is something I'm going to do for you. And then also thanks to the people that I don't know that wrote emails and said, hey, how you doing? Thinking about you, missing hearing your podcast. Hope you're okay. And that really means the world. You know, when your life is in a strange place, it means the world, those uh, touches. So thanks to all of you. So around here in the mountains of Western North Carolina, we have had an unusually dry, warm late summer and dry, warm fall. 
Then we had a freak cold snap down to 19, 20 degrees Fahrenheit for a few nights, and then it popped back up to warm, dry fall again. Thankfully today, oh, what a blessing. We got some rain, and it just, it's like you can just feel the ground breathe a sigh of relief and the forest breathe a sigh of relief with the rain that hasn't happened in so long. One of the good parts of that slow, gentle fall before the cold snap was it gave me time to get the hives in order to go into winter as best I could. One of the things I do in the early fall is to try to get them situated in terms of getting them the right size, the right size of hive around the colony. So you judge the size of the colony and you make sure the hive around them is the right size. And for me, that was actually pretty easy because in most cases, all I had to do was remove the bottom box because over the course of the late summer and fall, they had already moved up just a speck and um, it was pretty easy to just remove that bottom box. If there were frames in there that were heavy with pollen, because that's often where they stash a bunch of pollen, um, I did move that up and then remove that box, get them more the right size, keep them cozy. I also did a lot of robin hooding of honey. Um, I didn't really harvest much this year again, so makes fall feeding really easy because they've got their feed because they they stashed it and they get to keep it. I just took a few frames this year, but it made it easy. It also made plenty of honey to spread around to the small baby hives that I had made in the spring and summer since they don't really have time to build up to a good winter weight. Those are always the ones that I finagle with the most to get them through the winter. Hopefully the the big bubba hives, they're they're heavy, and so we're going to hope that is enough for them going through. And a lot of, again, what I'm doing is getting those little hives prepared. So one of the things I did in the early fall was the various nukes that were still in nuke boxes, I transitioned them to a single eight frame medium box and then got them in position so that I can put them as a penthouse on some of the big hives. And that is just uh, overwintering a single box that probably wouldn't be large enough to be viable through the winter on their own. But I found in the last couple of winters, I can get or knock on wood, I've been able to get very small nukes of bees, you know, especially like late mating nukes that are, are just a couple, two or three frames of bees. I found I can often get them through the winter by putting them in the penthouse position over a larger hive. I overwinter them over a double screen board. Now I do want to say under that double screen board between them and the big bubba hive, I usually have a shim of wood shavings. And that just serves to break the chimney of moisture that would otherwise go right up into them from the the hive below. So just that um, shim full of wood shavings, the heat from the hive below passes through no problem. I mean, it's amazing. You can put your hand in there, you know, like lift up the baby hive, put your hand in there in the winter, and it's just toasty warm underneath them. And then, of course, the heat rises through them, and I keep heavy top insulation on those especially, but actually all my hives. I'll talk about that a little later. So most of um, the things that I did right before that cold snap around here was to get those little nukes and small hives that I had raised over the bee season to get them situated going into winter. Many times, actually most times, 
when you do a split rate, is particularly if you start from a mating nuke. You do that split and you get a queen back and you let them start growing. They're probably, they're, it's going to be a stretch to get them to a size where on their own, just on their, completely on their own devices that they would get through winter okay. So those are the ones that I put a lot of my time into. And when you hear me talking about, you know, oh, I tucked them in and I gave them a winter patty and I put this insulation here and I did this. Those are usually those small baby hives that I just want to give the extra help to get through the winter because they're splits that I made. They're not like a natural swarm, for example, or even a full-size split. Usually they were started from mating nukes. And so the population, you really can't afford to lose a lot of them and them still be viable. And so I try to take care of the things, well, I mean, this is true of all the hives, but I try to take care of the things that are within my control. There's lots that's not within my control. But there are a few things. One is obviously their health and their mite condition going into the fall. Try to do the best I can on that. But then getting into fall, the things I can control are to make sure they do not starve to death by any of the many ways that they can and to make sure that they don't work themselves to death trying to keep too large of a space warm. And similarly, so they don't work themselves to death trying to stay warm in an uninsulated hive. But first, let me talk about the food aspect. So obviously with the big hives, the easiest way to feed them for the winter is to leave enough honey on there. It's it's super handy. You don't have to take it off. You don't have to mix sugar. You don't have to put it back on. You just leave it on there. If you leave enough honey on there, then that alone has worked very well, has made a huge difference. I've just noticed that the hives, the full-size hives that in the past that I have had to feed a lot of sugar water in the late summer to get them up to weight, I don't know. I don't I don't think they do as well. This is um, anecdotal, but kind of common sense too, that the food they make for themselves would be of higher quality than cane sugar and water. So they seem to do great. So I like leaving, I like the low work aspect of leaving enough honey for them to get through and simply not having to feed them. Now on the little baby hives, and I always, I'm trying, I'm calling them baby hives because I found that when I call them small little hives, many people that are not familiar with my beekeeping, they think, oh, that's like a small little sick hive or one that just didn't do well. I don't tend to baby those. If they are not doing well, I tend to replace the queen and then boost them. And if they don't boost back up, then I will sometimes cull them or combine them. Let nature take its course, whichever the case. I don't try to baby a sick hive through the winter. That's not my goal at all. Now, if I have a hive that's kind of iffy, which we all can end up with those, I try to give them their best chance. But what I'm talking about with all this little finagling that I do are baby hives. They're ones I have raised and the ones that I really that have, that I have to baby the summer and late summer nukes. Now, I love raising the summer and late summer nukes because I have just not found any combination of bee work that gives me the strength of a new colony coming out in the spring of a young queen that has only headed a nuke. So she has not overworked herself in uh, doing, you know, a giant hive coming through a, a honey season. No, she's still got plenty in reserve. She is just in training 
for being that amazing full season, full out honey queen the next year. And that's what I love to do. When they summer and fall in a small configuration, in my in my experience, they have so much less trouble with mites than, of course, a full-size hive. And that makes sense when you think about the math and the exponential action of, of mites. But I just don't typically have that problem with the small nuke. For me, it's very much worth that extra TLC and extra babying to get them through the winter. Not to mention, they get through the winter on such a small amount of stores and space for that matter, but stores compared to a full-size hive. So I love that format of, of raising up a lot of youngsters in the summer, overwinter them in a fairly small configuration, and then have them come out in the spring absolutely rip-roaring. That's the best case scenario, and it happens for me a lot more when I do those nukes that way. And so the two components that I focus with on those small hives is making sure they have enough food and making sure they have enough insulation. Now let me start with the food because beginners you you probably or you should know that once the the high, the daily highs is, are are just in the 50s or if it's in the 50s or below most of the time then it becomes pretty impossible to feed syrup to any good effect. It doesn't matter if it's 1 to 1 or 2 to 1 if it's syrup the bees can't take it underneath about, I mean, less than about 50 degrees. And so it just sits there cold to them, ice cold, and does them no good. And it just fools the beekeeper into thinking the bees are fed. So once it gets cool and chilly, the only options for food are to put honey frames from another hive. And I, I do like to give them some honey because I, it has an insulating quality all its own. My main goal is to, for them to have something they can eat right above their head because, you, you know, these are nukes. They're typically, my ideal situation is they go in what would be the equivalent of two, a double five over five. So if you have deep frames, if you had a five over five deep nuke set up, that would be the same volume as a two box eight frame medium setup. And so that is, I've found it to be a wonderful size to go into winter. Again, they just don't take a lot of stores. But as you can see, with just two medium boxes, two medium eights, it doesn't take long for the, especially if the population is good, um, they can eat themselves out of house and home pretty easily. But I don't want to add a lot of extra space. Like, I mean, I could conceivably add an entire super of honey above them but I don't want to give them that much space that they have to deal with in terms of keeping warm. So what I've found as a good solution is to give them as much honey as I can while they in them still have room in there, but to use one of the, well, I'm just going to say it. I am sold on the winter patties. I love them. The winter patties are the soft, gooey patties. If you can buy them formed into patties and they're between two sheets of wax paper, they look exactly like a pollen patty, except they're not pollen patties. They do have a tiny amount of protein, which I also like. They're nothing like a summer pollen patty. These are expressly designed for winter and they're just primarily uh, carbohydrates, mostly mostly sugar. They do have some, I think they do have some corn syrup in them to make them uh, pliable. It is mostly sugar. And I love them because I buy the the bulk bucket, the bucket you can get from Man Lake. And I get it from Man Lake because they have 
free shipping. You know, if you get over a certain amount, which is real easy to do, you can get free shipping. Um, Dayant has their winter patties actually taste better. And yes, I, I did sample both of them, <laughs> but their, their uh, winter patties taste better. And I love the smell of them. They're, they have a wonderful smell, but um, Dayant never offers free shipping and these things are heavy. So that's why I've ended up with the buckets at, at Man Lake. You can use the buckets and scoop it into your own wax paper. This is where in many past podcasts, I've talked about the sandwich box trick that I've used, which is just to dip out the gooey winter patty into a little, you know, one of those clear sandwich boxes. My brand of a uh, lunch meat comes in a, in a clear little plastic and I save the bottom of it to feed the bees. But due to the move, I could not locate my box of sandwich containers. Could not find it anywhere. So I had to fall back and punt on that one. And so what I did is I took the bulk winter patty stuff and scooped it into Ziploc bags, just the little quart size, then formed them into a kind of slab, you know, with my hands, I could work them around, get them nice and flat, fit in the shim. And also where the gooey stuff was all in contact with the plastic because you don't want the winter patties drying out. And it is they it is sometimes possible for them to dry out, especially with a little tiny hive that's not producing a lot of moisture. You know, in a big hive, their outbreaths are something you really have to deal with in terms of moisture management. But with little hives, you have the opposite problem. They don't put out enough moisture to moisten, say, a sugar brick or mountain camp feeding. And so that's why I love these little patties. I feel like they're just more palatable and more edible. They've got that speck of protein in them. And I love that it is right above the cluster. Because what I do, I think they're probably designed to go right on the top bars, right on the top bars and then under the inner cover but my eyes just don't have that much clearance. So, I mean, the, the only patty I can fit over on the top bars and below the winter. Now, I, I could fit a little larger one if I flipped the inner cover over. And that's a possibility. What I love about putting it on top of the inner cover, but over that center hole, is that without disturbing the bees in the middle of winter, I can peek in there. And usually at that top, I have it in an insulation box. So it's usually an extra box with some wood shavings and then a piece of foam on top of the wood shavings. I found this to be the, the best insulation for me. I'll talk about that later. You know, you can just push away the wood shavings, look at that little sandwich box and tell exactly how much they have left. And if they're just eating it like crazy, then you kind of know they, they need the food. And so I can just put another sandwich box full and, and swap it out. It's really easy to do even in the depths of winter, no matter the weather outside. And that's the selling point for me of this technique. It's nothing magical about it. It just works for me because I love a thing that if I get worried about them and there's a real cold stretch coming, I can go and check their supplies, these little hives, their supply of the winter patty. I can put my hand in there. If I'm not seeing any bees, I can put my hand in there and check for warmth, signs of life, which is reassuring. So it's worked for me. And since I didn't have my handy sandwich boxes, think that the Ziploc bags are going to work similarly because I filled them up, you know, smashed them into a slab, kind of massaged them like a loaf of bread into a slab and then flattened them out. And then I used a box cutter to cut a hole in the side of the, in the side of the Ziploc bag that, and then I just flipped that right over the hole in the inner cover. And some of you might be going, oh, but wait, that blocks, 
the uh, it blocks the ventilation on that inner cover. And you would be right. So you can only do this if you are using heavy top insulation, which is what I use, which I'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, I'm just sold on the winter patties. Might learn to there's got to be a way to make them at home and maybe I'll learn that and do that in the future. But for now, it's just so easy to get a bucket and it takes care of the little hives for the whole winter. And for me, that's a really good investment. And this brings me to the other forms of feeding sugar, which is mountain camp. This is where people just pour dry table sugar on top of the inner cover And the moisture from the bees wafts up and moistens that sugar. It forms kind of a candy, and then they can go up there and lick the candy if they're low on food. For me, because I'm talking about little hives, now if I had a big bubba hive and needed to do that, it would probably work. I mean, I probably still wouldn't do it because I like like the uh, other way better. But the thing I don't like about Mountain Camp is that they have to leave the cluster to get to the candy. And for me, I've lost hives from just like a week-long bitter cold snap where they could not move around enough to get out of cluster and get up into that top box for whatever reason. So that's the thing I love about having it right there because if they are running low on food, where they're going to be is in the top box in the middle right under where I'm going to put their winter patty. And so mountain camp, they have to leave the cluster. So if they're truly out of food, which can happen close to spring, they can be truly out of food, these little hives, and they're dependent on that winter patty or, and um, the mountain camp sugar is just not enough to guarantee them that they can be fed during a bitter, cold, extended, you know, polar vortex type of event. And then the other thing is I, I lost a whole group of little tiny, these little tiny nukes one time. I had I used to make the sugar bricks, which I like, and they're, they're great for um, big hives. It's just take granulated sugar and you moisten it a little bit. You can do it with water. You can do it with water and um, apple cider vinegar. You can put things in there like electrolytes and honey be healthy. And then you sort of massage it until it's a wet sand consistency and then you can press it into anything like a casserole dish or a cookie sheet or whatever and let it dry and it will form in that. You you definitely want to score it while it's at the wet sand because it, they harden into a true brick. And then you can put that over the inner cover hole or in a shim over the top bars or that type of thing. And on a bigger hive, that does that works fine because the bigger colonies have plenty of wet out breath to moisten it down so it can be used. But with these little tiny nukes, I had a case where I lost several because what it looked like was they just didn't produce enough exhalation to moisten that brick enough. And so they starved under a big old brick. And that's another reason why I have gone to the winter patties with my itty bitties. I love it that I can check and see exactly how much they have left, how if they're active, when I'm going to need to replace it. And also just, I, it's really nice on those cold stretches where you can't tell what's going on in the hive. I just love putting my hand down in those wood shavings and feeling that just toasty warm. And it's just a happy feeling knowing that your little hive is alive in there. And so the other thing that I did right before the big cold snap was to get everybody insulated. Now I am a huge proponent of heavy top insulation. I went to heavy top insulation and I'll never go back. And I've actually noticed that 
most beekeepers that I've heard of that get into insulation, they never go back to letting them go without, and particularly the little hives. Now, the big hives, you know, I don't have to put insulation on them, but I notice if I put insulation on them, they come out in the spring with a lot more honey stores, and I actually, um, once the nectar comes in, I can actually pull more honey because they haven't used it over the winter. They're pulling in new nectar, so they don't have a lot of interest in the old honey, and I can actually pull it off, and they just don't use nearly as much honey as when I have left them uninsulated. As you know, the common wisdom is bees can survive bitter temperatures by clustering and by doing their wonderful trick where they just vibrate all winter and keep themselves warm. This is like other things in life that I've discovered. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> this is a this is a very wise sentence to keep in mind. Just because you can don't mean you should. So basically, yes, the bees can go into survival mechanism and they can keep that cluster warm even though every cold snap they tend to lose bees to the cold the outside layer of the cluster may die off and what i found is if you have a smaller colony of bees you can only lose that outer layer so many times before you get below good viability and i just don't have that problem i don't have that same problem when i insulate similarly my bigger hives when i insulate now you know there's i don't have to go as all in as with the little hives. But when I do insulate the bigger hives, they come through um, with a bigger population and can boom earlier because they that insulation gives them ability to start brood earlier and start brood earlier and keep it warm and survive with the brood. So just like friends that use a Layens hive, which is a, an insulated hive, it is amazing how much earlier they start brood and how much bigger they start the season. Actually, it can quickly get out of hand with a land's hive. But that lesson, even though I'm not fond, after trying it, I'm, I'm not fond of the shape of the land's frames. But the experience of, of a fully insulated hive like that is pretty darn convincing. So on my hives, I do heavy top insulation. And what I've settled on is just the foam board. I use two-inch foam board. And if I could only do one thing out there, I would cut a piece of two-inch foam board and I would put it over the inner cover on the top and then I would put the outer cover over that. Now, I tend to go a little bit more. You know, I'll put the two-inch layer on a full-size hive. I'll put the two-inch board over the inner cover, put the outer cover on, and then I'll do side insulation, usually on a bigger hive of just like one-inch foam board. I do a little envelope at least around the top two boxes because, again, I use the eight-frame mediums. But that gives them this warm capsule of just heat up at the top, which is where they end up in the late winter anyway with that insulation. And because the lid is heavily insulated, you do not get the dripping condensation that you would get with all that outbreath of bees going up and hitting the cold lid. And there are few fewer ways to kill a colony quick than to have condensation, cold condensation, dripping down on bees in the winter, and then it freezes, and it will kill a colony really fast. It's really sad, and it's really gross, too, because they're frozen, wet bees. But if you have good, solid insulation, and depending on your climate, you know, like two inches is plenty in my in my climate for a full-size hive. I mean, it's just, it's plenty. But you may be in a colder spot that could actually use more. 
So anyway, I do the, the two inch chunk on the top. With my little hives, I go a little bit more in depth. I often put an extra box on top of their inner cover. They've got their winter patty over the hole in the winter cover. And then I will often just fill the void around the sandwich box or the Ziploc bag with wood shavings, which then I use in the spring for smoker fuel. And then on the wood shavings, I might just fill up the box halfway with wood shavings. And then I have pieces of the two inch foam cut to fit inside that box to lay on top of it. And I found that to be a phenomenal um, top insulation box. Unlike a quilt box, I don't have any have to have any special pieces of equipment. I mean, it functions like a quilt box, essentially, but I don't have to have any special pieces of equipment. It's just a spare super and some wood shavings that I'm going to use for smoker fuel anyway, and then my little pieces of foam board that I use over and over every year. And I have an idea on those, you know, because the ones that are on the outside, like the sideboards, uh, my little envelope that I put around them, oh, and just for a note. This is just me, and I don't know if it's better or worse, but I just put the insulation on three sides. I put it on the east, west, and north side of the hive. I leave the south side just the wood, and in my mind, I'm just making up a story, but in my mind, it that gives them that back top that's just toasty warm and all that, but then they have that front wall that is available to take in the summer sun. So if you get a warm day with good sun, um, it can just warm it all up in there. And the nice thing about warming it all up inside the hive, even if it's too cold for them to fly. Um, and by the way, I've had no trouble. I mean, I read one time that it's like, if you too warm in the hive, they'll get confused and fly out into the cold. I have never had them do that. They, they seem to take a reading on the temperature when they walk out on the porch and bees aren't stupid. So anyway, I've never had trouble with that. But um, I leave that so that it can have solar gain because those warm days, even if they're just in the hive, it gives them the chance to break cluster. They can move around the hive. They can collect honey and put it where they need it to be, which is very important. I just think it has a good effect. So I don't know how much that matters. For a long time, people said, oh, you know, you shouldn't insulate the whole hive because it'll have a refrigerator effect and stay colder in there. I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's possible. I, I mean, I think the air temperature probably has something more to do with it. But anyway, the solar gain is a real thing and leaving the front uninsulated, you know, fairly mild climate compared to a lot of parts of, of the country. That works great for me. So just to go back to that, the bees have the ability to go into survival mode and live through a winter in a thin Langstroth box or any, you know, one by lumber sides and top. But what strikes me is that in any kind of natural situation, the bees, their ideal place that they will choose on their own in this type of um, ecosystem is an, a hollow tree. And a hollow tree has just endless R-value above the hollow, a pretty good R-value around the colony in their hollow, and then good below, too. There's something to be said for allowing the walls of the, the walls of the hive to be cooler than the roof, because if you do have some condensation, condensation is actually a valuable source of water for them in the winter. I read something from Tom Seeley on that, that they collect the condensation off the walls of the hive and then can use it to dilute honey and do whatever they need. I think you can think about it like if you or I got stranded in a in the wilderness and it was going to just by ourselves and just with the clothes on our back and not a lot of coat or whatever, 
and it was going to get down into the 20s that night and there was no way you could get back to back to camp or or a house then you could dig you out a place or find a little overhang in the woods and bury yourself in forest duff and leaves and maybe put some evergreen branches over you. And odds are, if it's not too cold, you'd probably make it. Now, I'm not saying it'd be fun, but you'd probably make it through the night. But if you did that night after night, it's going to take a toll on you. I mean, being cold all night, if you've ever had, oh my gosh, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer <laughs> in the former Soviet Union, if you've ever been really cold for many nights in a row, it's wearing. It's wearing on you. You get colds and, and that type thing. And your muscles just get tired because you're you're tense all night long. I think there's a little bit of a similarity to that. You know, that yes, the bees can survive but I think it's it's a stress on their system. I mean, just that they have to consume more food and the natural wear and tear on the body and aging that eating the food causes them. I have found nothing but good things in keeping them warmer and cozier than everybody told me they needed to be. So that's what's been going around here, going on around here, other than the moving craziness and figuring it out and talking to you right now from my blanket fort. That's the the bee stuff that's been going on. I hate to even say anything because I feel like I'll just jinx myself. Lord willing, I hope I will just be able to make you podcast through the winter, especially after I get my little sound booth made. I'll MacGyver that soon. But to um, make you some podcasts, read you some articles, and I would be delighted to hear by email how it went for you. What was your experience this season? Did you learn something? Did you learn something really fun and fascinating? Did you try a new skill and it was great or it was terrible and you blew it or what? But all of that is learning. And so you're winning if you are uh, learning and trying new things and stretching your skills. Or maybe you just made a discovery that you, you want to share. I'd love to hear that. I might share it on the show. Don't worry. I'll just use your first name. Feel free to email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. I may not be able to write back, but you may hear about it on the show. Again, Thank you to every patron who kept this venue open so that when I was able to get back to it, I had a place to get back to. Thank you, patrons. And with that, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to see how quickly I can get back here to you. Maybe by next time, well, probably next time I'll probably still be talking to you in a blanket fort, but, but after that, maybe I'll get my sound booth set up. Thank you so much for showing back up here. It means the world that you would come back after I've been gone so long. Y'all have a great week. And let me know how it's been going. Bye-bye.